place. Mm. The first thing we have to remind all of us is we provide the essential service. Mm -hmm. We are not um, an NGO providing a youth group on Wednesday afternoon. I mean, God bless him. That's super important. But it's not an essential service. In a time like this, they can shut down for three weeks. Um, we cannot shut down. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, um, and so one of the big things that take our time at the moment is to keep pushing that to the local government officials and to keep on saying to them, you've got to allow us to move around. You've got to allow us to gather the kids. You've got to allow us because these kids don't come because our food is nicer than what they can eat at home. Mm -hmm. Their vulnerability is worse without, without us feeding them than it is having the risk of them getting Right. Them. Yes. Yeah. That, that speaks volumes. Yeah. That, that says a lot that, uh, you know, there's different levels of vulnerability and the virus is actually not at the top level of vulnerability. Yes. Yeah. Oh, what humbling words. But I think um, this passage in particular speaks to a lot of what, we're gonna, what you've just described. And I, I'm looking forward to delving deep into this with you. I think it'll be hopefully fruitful, not just for the two of us, but I yes. hope for many as we uh, consider all that Jesus went through. Yes. So yes. if I could begin with prayer. Father, we praise you that the situation in this world is not above you, is not something that happened and you had no th idea or, or thought about what was to occur. You are sovereign and Lord, and you care deeply about your people and about this world. And there's a lot of brokenness. There was brokenness before this virus and this pandemic. And there will be after as well. But I pray that we would come to see that there is no hope other than the hope that we find in Christ Jesus. Lord, we look at this passage and I, I consider it and I, I think of you on that, uh, just uh, on that mountain and looking out at the ocean, uh, the sea and seeing how rough the waves were. But as George spoke on from the book of Mark, the waves were never an issue. The wind and the storms, they were, they were absolutely in your sovereign control. But what matters is, what are we like? How are we going to respond? What is our faith in such times? I pray that we would see that and it would encourage us. It would fuel us. It would make us bold and courageous and help us to see with your eyes and to know what you know, to see the truth. And we know the truth will set us free. So thank you for this time. I pray that it'd be a blessing to all who would uh, hear, including for myself. And I ask that you be leading us by your spirit, oh Lord. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. George, one of the things I love is when you read the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think uh, if you wouldn't mind reading the passage, it you make the verses just jump out at you. So I, I really love the way you read scripture. And so if you wouldn't mind reading verses 22 to 33 of Matthew chapter 14, that would be great. Okay. So I will read from the um, English standard version. Okay. 
Matthew 14, verse 22 to 33. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by by this time was long away from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And he began to sink and cry out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying to him, Oh, you of faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those on the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, he is the Son of God. Mm. Amen. Thank you for that. So, again, I had uh, shared last time that we had picked our two passages independent of each other. They're not the exact same passage, but they do really sort of go hand in hand together. And I think you can see that in, in many different ways. So what I thought I would do is I'd just give an observation, just ask, well, what do you think? And, and we'll just go down the line. Um, you know, what's interesting is that, uh, first of all, this is following the feeding of, was it, is it three or five in this one? The 5,000. Yeah. And he's on the mountaintop. He's... But, and both George and I have been to this area. It really is a beautiful area of Israel. And he's feeding the 5,000, which is more than 5,000 because that's only yeah. men. And yeah. there's women, children. So who knows? It could be 20,000 people. And I think what's interesting is it says in verse 22, he made the disciples get into the boat mm-hmm. and go before him to the other side. And you know, we were reflecting on why does Jesus make the disciples get into the boat. There are many different reasons why possibly, right? So I was thinking that um, one reason might be that, sorry, I'm getting a message saying that my mic is a little too hot. Okay. So one reason is that um, I hear you well. Okay, one reason is that he wanted to free up his disciples from the crowd, which is very much Jesus, you know, the way he is. Because if there's 20,000 people, I mean, to think of Jesus being surrounded by his disciples and he's more concerned about his disciples than himself. So, because why would he get force them? That's one possible reason. I think the second reason, and it could be both, the second reason is just as important in verse 23 is that he went up on the mountain 
by himself to pray. And we know that, and I know you know this even more so, is that when you are busy, Jesus was busier than most people who have ever lived. I mean, he had crowds surrounding him and he did not have bodyguards or, you know, there was no one protecting him from these gigantic crowds. And he was so busy and his disciples were with him all the time. Mm-hmm. He, he needed, he, he thrived. He, he required that time to be with his father. And that happened quite often. And he would always try to, what's interesting about Jesus, I find is that he is so, it's very much Philippians two. He emptied himself and made himself nothing. He doesn't try to, he carves out the time when everyone is resting when everyone is away uh, when it's early in the morning before dawn or when everyone's tired on, on Gethsemane or in this instance, they're exhausted from being around 20,000 people caring for them. And rather than trying to say, I'm going to go, go fishing. Cause I need to, I need to, you know, I need to recharge my batteries for uh, cause I'm an introvert. He needs to be with his father. And so he sends them, into the boat and they go what do you think about that i love it i i i thought a lot about it also i was really struck by that the actually in fact it said immediately yes and so um if we look at the timeline then we could clearly presume that on by the time he was finished feeding them it was already getting dark Yes. Because on a false watch, he actually walked to them on the water. Yes, yes. So, so we know it's a later day. But you know, here's the thing, Sam. What happened before was crucially important to me. Mm-hmm. He just got the news that John the Baptist's head was cut off. Mm-hmm. He was being Mm. And it's clear that he was in pain because it said... Yes, that's chapter was, 14. Yep. He was true to be alone on a boat. He was, mm. he was mourning. He was in pain. Mm. He mm-hmm. just went into a crisis. He had every reason to isolate himself and to say, this is now my time. I've got to protect myself. I've got hurt. Mm. Um, yes. I really want to say his best friend. He spoke about John so highly. He said, of all people born naturally, this was the greatest man. Um, and yet... When he withdrew, the crowds followed him, and these words just blew me out of the water. And where it said, hearing of this, the crowds followed him on a foot to town. When Jesus landed and saw the crowd, he had compassion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. His own pain, brokenness hurt that moment. He saw other people. It immediately took priority in his life. Mm. Um, and so just for me to to paint the picture of, I definitely think feeding 5,000 was lesson number one and underwater was lesson number two. You know, there's a progress in faith, trust me. But if we look more detail in his lifestyle, in his, how he, remember everything Jesus did was to show us the Father. Yes. And the Father is just relentless in showing compassion and spending everything himself, if I may say that, on mm-hmm. behalf of others. And we, we can take so much courage in this time that even at the most severe moments in Jesus' life, 
he considered other people. I think about on a cross, woman, there's your son, son, there's your woman. I mean, who would think about that while you're busy <laughs> in your last moments <laughs> appreciating pain and suffering? And that's, that's just so beautiful about Jesus. Mm. How he displayed that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's good. That is good. I, I think that picture, that context of John, yeah, that is so significant. It makes sense then when in verse 23, it says, so he goes to pray. And then when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. And then the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. So for those who don't know, the fourth watch of the night is around three to 6 a.m. So it's very early morning, not, you know, post midnight. It's it's actually, you know, uh, they say the special forces, when they make an attack on somebody, they usually attack them at 4 a.m. Exactly. Because that is considered to be the weakest part of a person's sort of cycle. Exactly. And, and, but here's the thing. So I think this is interesting is that when I was, when I had read this passage before, studied it, or I never really studied it, but read it, reflected on it. I always had this image that it was going to be Jesus was, there's this, um, the disciples are in a boat and Jesus is walking on the water, but the water's calm. Yeah, yeah. But this verse shows us that actually this was not calm water that Jesus was walking on. This, the storm was raging, not, it didn't just hit, although it, it, it had been going on for a while. And so Jesus is on the land. The disciples are in the boat. And they had been hit by this storm. Um, and it was, it was just raging. I, I showed George this. I'm going to do this for everybody. It's, it's just that I took a, went on YouTube and did a, um, let me see, a, I looked up some bad storms on the Sea of Galilee, which I think is pretty significant. Here's what it looks like. I think that gives you an idea. Yes. But so imagine it's dark around 3 a.m. The, the storm is raging. And, and that's what the disciples are facing. So I think your explanation of why he prayed so long, because if it's 3 a.m., that means he probably prayed, what, George, maybe... At yeah. least the earliest was 3 a.m., right? Yes, that's the earliest. So maybe six hours? Yes, at least. <laughs> but you can yeah. see, you're right, the anguish. Yes. There's so much going on for him to pray that long, right, to his heavenly father. What was beautiful for me about that, Sam, as I thought about that, was... Isn't that comforting for us? That while we are in the storm, he's praying for us. Because it's not like he was on a mountain and he had no clue what was happening. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes. So he was on a mountain saying, Father, tonight I pray for them, that they may have faith in us, mm-hmm. that they may see and trust us, even though the storms are beating around them right now. 
um, may they trust us in these times when the storms are against them. Um, and then he went to go and bring the lesson to them. But I was, I never thought about it while he prayed, let's say for four hours, he was very aware of what was happening. I mean, he could even with his own eyes have seen that the, that the lake was in a storm, right? Yes. But I think he knew exactly what was happening. Right. He felt the best place to be was to intercede for them. And not only mm. should we be very comfortable that our intercessor is there mm. for us in the storms, but in Africa we say monkey see, monkey do, right? Imitate Jesus. And so I want to be like Jesus. And the best thing we can often do in a crisis is just climb on that mountain and intercede. Just mm. pray. Yes, yes, mm. yes. So then Jesus, you know, it's a, you can understand, first of all, in verse 28, why they were terrified. There's a really bad storm. And these are, a lot of them are, fishermen who have fished that sea and seen storms and been in storms. So it's not unfamiliar territory for these men to be in this storm, even if it was a great storm. But on top of that, suddenly this at whatever there it's three, four, five in the morning, they see Jesus walking, not on, not on smooth waters, but almost on the on these gigantic waves and with the wind and the rain pelting their face, you know they're they're just trying to keep their boat from you know capsizing and and they're looking out and they see they must have thought truly it, either it's an you know I'm I'm seeing things or the word that uh the Greek word for a ghost is phantasma they they saw this phantasmic apparition something that they were just shocked by. And so fear, they cried out in fear. I think one thing to note is that it's not strange for them to be afraid at this point, right? It's so dramatic, everything that's happening. So, but the, the thing that, I, that I'm just so struck by is verse 27. When they cried out in fear, the response to, immediately by jesus so as soon as he, fear happens he's drawn near the boat on the water the rate the water's raging um and then he says take heart it is i do not be afraid mm. i i think those three phrases take heart mm. meaning don't you know hold your heart it is i is a really critical phrase i mm. i think we probably can sweep, sweep over that really quickly, but it is I is the Greek phrase ego and me, which is actually so often used in the gospel of John, the I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. And that statement is absolutely reflecting back to the idea of God as the I am, you know, he is the self-existent one. He is the Yahweh. And when Jesus is saying that, he's saying it as though, not as though, he is God. And because he is God, he is creator. And because he is creator, he is Lord over the waves. And this is, that's why do not be afraid makes absolute sense in response to the reality that when they're looking at him, they're not just seeing a ghost or a miracle. 
but they're seeing the God who is over everything. That these waves, as you, you said it last time when you spoke on Sunday, is that it, the waves are nothing to him. The storms are nothing. They're, they're really, in a word, he said, peace be still, and it was still. It, it's that same idea, let there be light, and there's light. So the universe and all of scientific law obeys the creator of that law or the creator of that world. And so when Jesus is saying, it is I, do not be afraid, he's saying, I am who I am, and I am the creator, therefore, do not be afraid. What do you think about that? So great. What are your reflections? I love that, Sam. And um, um, in Romans 10, 17, I think it's where it said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Mm. And when Jesus said, it is I, um, remember, they started seeing, saying he's the son of God. But for him to take a step and draw him closer, and the importance for us to know God's word, because when we know his word and we understand and we contemplate about it, that's where our faith comes from, because that's how we are. We, we remember who he is. And so the disciples, they grew up with the Old Testament, right? I mean, in Job 9, 8, it say who alone stretched out the heavens mm. and trampled the waves of the sea. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, it's nearly like um, uh, um, in Psalms, it's the same. There's, and in Psalms, there are many references to that. But Psalm 77, 19 speaks about that also, how he can control the waters. And so Jesus said, it is I. Mm. I am the one, if I am the one who can control it, like you so mm. rightly said, the creator of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, it was just beautiful for me to see that mm. um, as he spoke to them and they were so desperate before Peter got out of the boat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think this, that part is so applicable to us today. Yeah. If we were to just take that, statement that he made to his disciples on that boat in the middle of the raging sea that same phrase take heart it is i do not be afraid is for us in the middle of this pandemic the only difference is it's the same the only difference is sea versus virus but if you have ever watched the videos um, when you know the tsunami in japan when uh the waters were coming in at, you just realize how powerful water is, the ocean waters and the sea waters. It is, I mean, the virus has nothing compared to the power of the water. It, if all the waters, like Noah's flood, just swept over the earth, there's nothing anyone could do. No military, nothing. No amount of money. But the God over this, who is saying this to the waters, is the same God who is over the virus. And we have to we have to realize that he's saying this to us now take heart it is i do not be afraid so if we think of of what paul said that all things work together mm-hmm. for the one christ jesus then surely as we study this word and and we looked at god had a reason with that storm there's always something that works mm-hmm. for of us then if we want to, and I'm just so urging myself in this time to be brutally honest with myself, 
Um, yesterday, after the sermon, I went for a run on a hill. <laughs> My heartbeat got to 170. I thought, oh, slow down. <laughs> but I was so convicted about some of the very things that I spoke yesterday morning that I could see at certain times in my life when I'm under pressure, they play out. And I said, I just stopped and I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you that in this uncertain times, you mean business with me. That's incredible. And so my big urge for us constantly is what we've got a moment here. It's nearly like the sun has been asked to stop in the sky. It's nearly like God's stopped the time and said, deal. Deal with life. I'm giving you a moment here. And so my thoughts just went, do I think, I wonder how quick this will be over so that I can carry on with my life. I hope we're going to, economy is going to recover. And I hope, Mm. or do I say, God, where have I gone off the road here? Where have I missed the true north? Show me. I do not want to miss this moment. Go deep with me. Go deep with the church. Let this not just be a moment where we hope we recover, but this be a a moment of the start of renewal, of a a, a point in history where the church can look back and say, that was the moment where um, deep and significant things happened in the church in the United States. Mm. And we could clearly see the fruit out of that that brought life for generations to come if the Lord tarry. And I want to urge us not to be tempted to to see this time through so that we can mm. just run again. And mm. um, we'll be desperately sad if that is the case. And, and so all things work together for them, one Christ. What? What? must be good what can come out of this time um, mm. in George's life and in our life as a mm. wellspring and wherever we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Um, we move on to Peter. <laughs> ah, now Peter comes into the picture. And verse 28, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And I was reading one commentary, uh, D.A. Carson's, and he was talking about the idea that this phrase, Lord, if it is you, can also be translated since it is you. Yes, I believe that. And yeah, I think so too. And basically, there is a, there is a faith in Peter. Mm. Uh, it's not as though Peter is completely faithless. He absolutely has faith because he actually does see Jesus. And again, he is a fisherman. He knows these seas well. And he had just seen Jesus do this dramatic miracle. And so he begins to take a literal walk of faith. Yeah. In knowing, as George, I know you always say, knowing the Jesus that he knows. You know, so he knows Jesus. He has a relationship with him. He trusts him. He's seen him perform miracles. He knows it's like the waves or whatever, but he's not thinking about the waves. He's thinking about Jesus. He's focusing on him. And he says, since it's you, command me to come to you on the water. I Actually, I would have never even thought about doing that. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's like, if I was watching Jesus and I was scared, the last thing I'd be thinking about is, I, I Lord, tell me to come on the water. 
that does say a lot about that's the best part of Peter, you know, with all it's who you and what you admire about Peter is I'm sure the other disciples were not even thinking that way. What do do you think about that? No, that's so great. Um, And I do believe that. Um, Just back to that previous point we made, um, here we see it play out where Peter could have been focused and said, Jesus, calm the storm so that we can carry on with our lives. Or he said, this is a time for me to learn to walk in the water. The way I like the translation for me, and and I think there's good evidence pointing towards it, is Mm. to say, since it is you, let me do what you are doing. Yes. That's a translation I like about this. And so... Um, since you can walk in the water, since it's you in the midst of a storm, teach me to walk in the midst of a storm. Mm. Teach me to be a wave walker. <laughs> because that's what we're called to be. And, and that's, that brings us to the moment we live in right now. And I plead with everybody in Africa at the moment. Mm. I agree with President Trump's statement he made today. He said, this is got a beginning and an end. We all know that. This mm-hmm. time is going to be over. And we're going to look back and say, were we walking on the waves or were we mm. high? Mm. And by God's grace, we can say, we want to get out of the boat and we want to walk because we want to learn. Now, remember also that Peter was a few hours before that, he saw a massive miracle and mm-hmm. um, feeding. And so we can just see how God is taking us step by step. The thing that struck me also a lot, Sam, would like to hear what yes. you is the moment you got out of the boat, the dynamics change. And so often we think if we get closer to Jesus, <laughs> it's going to be safe and cuddle mm. and it's going to be uh, affirming us. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't think so. Uh, you know, when Jesus healed the crippled man, he said to him, get off that mat. Yes. Get off that mat. Stop yes. the mat and everybody feels sorry for you. Get up. Mm. Mm-hmm. Be here. You know, become mature. Be yes. perfect. That yes. perfect is mature. I yes. need you to, to take your place now in my kingdom. Yes. And I think when Peter got onto the water, he realized it's a different ball game to really, really get into that storm. I'm going to have to learn how to be this way because suddenly I realized, man, it is rough out there. <laughs> the message is, he will grab my hand. He will always be there for me. I don't have to be perfect in walking in the waves. It's just to get out of that boat. He is there to hold my hand. He is praying for me on the mountain. He is watching over me. Psalm 91 is most probably this psalm at this time, you know. He who dwelleth in the secret place of the mm. most part. He'll abide in a shadow. And I will say, he's my rock, my refuge. Mm. And it goes further and say, I will protect you against every pestilence. I will pre- prevent your, when you slip it, you won't fall. My angels will keep you. But still, it is getting out of the boat. So we can do it with confidence. But Peter discovered that day, <laughs> It wasn't as easy as it looked. <laughs> it was another game when he got on the And I think that the Bible actually said that when he walked, he realized, wow, it's actually worse than what I thought when I was in the Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I think when we when I think of Peter, I do we just have this he, he's so larger than life, you know. He 
he's someone you admire and someone you th- say, oh, Peter, what are you doing? You know, and it's both are happening at the same time. You know, oh, uh, don't wash my feet. Mm-hmm. Well, no, actually, then wash my whole body. <laughs> it's like, that's just so Peter. Yes, it's, I'm going to come out. Oh, I'm, I'm sinking. <laughs> I think in many ways that is like us. And so I think there's something to that that makes us appreciate Peter. You know, um, he, he has all of that. I think one thing to notice, so Peter, he's, Jesus says, come. And I think just like you said, Jesus always calls us to act. So you, 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 you act. In, I mean, you say, I'm going, I have faith. And then you have to act. You have to take up your mat. You, and Jesus says, come, come and see. And you actually have to do something about it. You actually have to get out of the boat. That's good. The, the getting out of the boat is hard, but he does it. And then he starts walking on the water. And I, I don't know when, isn't that, I, I feel like when I read that, George, I see, um, I just see so much of myself. Um, I see when, when you start actually living out in faith, you uh, begin to say, I'm actually doing it. It's almost like when you first had to learn, you teach a child how to ride a bike. And then when you let go and they begin to start wobbling, but they're making it. And then they get this incredible sense of a big smile and this excitement because they're saying, I've done it. I'm doing it. I almost get that sense from Peter. He comes out of the boat. uh, He's walking, he's doing it. And he's coming to Jesus and everything's great until the big but in verse 30 but <laughs> and you know what do you think before yeah. the big but yeah may I speak um, I just look at the immediate fruit of that you know I think that triggered off so much hmm. that um that was the beginning of Peter's real walk. Um, in fact, that that step, I believe, even though um, afterwards the disciples in the boat said, surely he is the son of God. But only later in Matthew 16, verse 16, I think, around about there, Peter got to the depths of that. And he, when Jesus asked him, what do you say? He said, you are the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the son of God. Mm-hmm. Man, he went. Then Peter nailed it right down to the T. Now he didn't just say Jesus. You know, so many people think they know Jesus or we, we know a portion about Jesus, especially what we like to know about him. But, you know, Peter got to the place where through the walking on water and through all these things that he experienced and mm-hmm. grew, he eventually, a direct result of this is he could confess of his mouth and say, you are the Messiah. Mm. <laughs> you, uh, Yeshua Messiah, you know, mm. <laughs> you are mm-hmm. the one we've been waiting for for thousands of years. Um, but it's, it gave birth on those waves. Yes. Ah, the waves though. <laughs> but he saw the wind. And the wind is more than just the wind. I think it's referring to the whole storm, everything. The wind, the waves, the storm, the rain. And he was afraid 
and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So he saw the wind. He was afraid. Mm-hmm. And there is a shift. I think the shift is seeing the wind versus before he was seeing Jesus. And suddenly it's now seeing the wind. He's seeing the storm. He's yeah. looking and focusing completely yeah. on that storm. I, my, um, Jack and I have been watching this TV show. We watch it every once in a while. It's, uh, it's called Alone. It's basically, it's 10 guys or men and women. Um, they're dropped off in Vancouver Island. And they're, they, uh, they're survivalists. And so they're dropped off in different places and they, they're given a choice of 10 different tools, right? They could choose any 10 tools and they have to survive there. And whoever survives the longest wins $500,000, but they don't know how long the others are surviving for. So they just, you just have to sort of go as long as you can. And what's very interesting, George, is that so pretty much most of them, they can handle the physical part. They cannot handle being alone. Every one of them gives up because they're alone. They can handle the the waves, the cold, the hunger, being thirsty, but they cannot handle being alone. It, It just gets them. It eats at their soul. And I just think that, uh, there is something to the idea that we, the storm of our mind is so powerful. And the storm really is internal. It's not, it's, you know, yes, we're facing a, like you said it earlier, the, the fear of the pandemic is much worse than thus far than the pandemic. I mean, statistically, they're even saying that, I mean, I'm granted it could be increasing whatever it might be, but even right now, way before, there's so much fear. It's so internalized. And there's always that fear. That is that is a wind and a storm that we just look at and it controls us and it, it dictates how we live, what we, what we uh, think of our security. And it's no wonder that someone like Peter and us, we start sinking. What are your thoughts? Uh, Sure. It goes very deep now. And again, what you say, Sam, the application of that specifically in these times um, it's so easy to now turn around and to become inward looking mm, um, mm-hmm. and to want to protect ourselves. One of the things that I loved when I walked through Israel was when I went to the Dead Sea. And of course, it's dead because there's no life. In it. <laughs> but um, I was there, I think it was a scientist from Denmark or something there that I met that day. And he was just sharing with me why it was dead. And I think all of us know it's dead because it's an inflow, but not an outflow because I think it's actually under sea level. Mm. But um, they say if even now, if they could get uh, the Dead Sea to have an outflow, that in a very short time, there would be life again. Mm. And so we were created to receive mm. and to let to release, to let go, to give, to go. Mm. That's the, the foundation for God so mm-hmm. loved the world that he came and, and everything was receiving and giving. Mm. We were created to do that. And I think 
we slowly moved away from that and we became an extreme individualistic culture. Mm -hmm. And we can see that play out in public health. I don't have to tell you, you can just go and Google and look at uh, the, the exponential growth of problems that we have with health, especially among young people. Um, I think like medically it's increasing by 3000% medication for people struggling with depression and loneliness. I'm not talking about um, classic um, uh, depression as a, as a result of chemical imbalance or something. I'm talking about loneliness. Sam, did you know that two years ago, the United Kingdom um, brought in a new ministry a minister was appointed in, in a cabinet called the Minister of Loneliness. Hmm. No, minister, I did not know that. Yeah, and and Mar, um, May, uh, May, the Prime Minister, yes. said, this is the biggest crisis we face in the United Kingdom at the moment, is people are so desperately alone that it be, we are becoming a complete mm. community. And in fact, Months after that, um, Canada and Australia said, yes, we also want to have a Minister of Loneliness because this is the biggest pandemic we have in our midst, is people are lonely. And you only have to get on public transport to see that. Everybody's got earphones in, nobody talks to nobody. They say that there's, in the cities in America, nearly 40% of people if, if they lose their jobs or their parents, they don't have one person that they can phone that they've got a deep enough relationship to tell them. That's people living in a city mm. say, I need help. Hmm. And so we've been isolated. And that loneliness, mm -hmm. that fear is playing out now also in our midst. And I think it's one of the things we need to talk a lot about as a church. Mm. With this um, social distancing, <laughs> we must become we must start feeling that pain mm -hmm. and start thinking about many people are experiencing the social distancing mm. every day <laughs> they are isolated mm -hmm. maybe by their own will or by us but nonetheless that isolation is killing them not just physically sam but spiritually Mm -hmm. It's harming them. We know in Africa, we know the animals that get taken down by the lions are the ones that break away from the group. They target them because it's much easier. In fact, they say when a lion comes for uh, zebras, for example, mm -hmm. if 20 zebras running together, mm -hmm. it's very difficult for a lion to get that zebras because all the stripes of the different zebras confuse him. He, he can't see anymore. Ah. So they sell them. They get the zebras that, that move away from the group. Hmm. And so I think there's a big lesson for us to learn in yes. that time to say as a church, as a community, as an individual, I'm going to stand against, I'm going to get out of the boat and prevent loneliness wherever I can. Hmm. I'm going to hmm. make ministry for myself when i travel when i work well i'm gonna reach out because we've been given the ministry of reconciliation right mm -hmm. people yes. with God and with yes and so constantly in this time we must reconsider how do we play that role actively as a team mm -hmm. no that's good yeah that's um when i think of that type of ministry how necessary it is in the midst of a lot of storms, a lot of winds, you know, this um, one thing that's interesting about this passage is that 
for Peter, it's not as though he, when he walked out of the boat, the storm started raging. The storm was always there, yeah. right? And I think that's that's actually a really important uh, thing to consider is that um, that the storm didn't change, and Jesus was walking on the water already. But what did change for Peter was not the circumstance, uh, I'm, not the circumstance, but it was truly inside his own soul. And that's when the sinking and the doubting, it really happens. They go hand in hand. Sinking leads to doubting. I'm sorry, doubting leads to sinking. It's not as though the situation changes. Even if a situation does change or doesn't change, as soon as you start doubting, then sinking happens. And for Peter, the waves are already there. He walks on the water despite the waves. So he's walking on the water despite the waves. The doubt comes in, not because the waves got higher, but because the internal waves got higher. And as the internal waves get higher, he begins to doubt more, which leads to more sinking. And then he looks more at his environment and his circumstances, and then more doubt, and then more sinking. And it becomes this vicious cycle. It's, and you can't get out of it because you're trapped into this idea that everything around me is the reason why I am the way that I am, rather than saying, actually, no, it's me. And it doesn't matter what the circumstances, if I was wealthy or poor, if I was um, you know, facing a lot of great results or being rejected all the time, if it's internal, it's gonna happen and it'll play out. And there will be a doubt that just constantly creeps at you. And um, yeah, and so for, Peter, it, to me, it makes sense. It's not that he didn't have faith, but I, he really did start to doubt. And that doubt just started sort of creeping more and more into it. What do you think about that? That's a great, yeah. Um, so I think often, I think very few people that will listen to you would disagree with you. All of us, we can hear it sound theology is truth it's even logic you know we can understand it mm-hmm. yet we all know how it feels to go down that spine. yes yes and that again sam i want to bring it a little bit push a little bit hard on that thing on mm-hmm. even and accountability and discipleship mm. um so carolyn um she She's ruthless with me. <laughs> <laughs> she loves me enough not to, to hold me in a short leash, right? <laughs> and sometimes it only takes a look. Sometimes it only takes me making statements and her being quiet for me to know, okay, I'm busy. I am actually busy going down the spiral. And thank God that she is looking at that and she's sending me signals saying to me, Boy, you're going down a spiral here. Mm. You better, you better put in reverse, or you're gone here. This thing mm-hmm. is going to follow you up. In mm. Africa, we've got a beautiful saying in Answered Work. We say, "Your washing machine is on." <laughs> you know, it's where everything starts. Yes. Crazy. Yes. Yes. Now, hopefully, we can grow and become mature enough to know when your washing machine start going on to switch it off quickly 
and mm-hmm. I am actually developing some mechanisms for me to do that. Mm. But there are times that I can't. Mm-hmm. I thank God I've got leaders Amen. around me yeah. that loves me more than what they care how I feel about their response. Mm. And they speak into that. And they say to me, your washing machine is pumping now. <laughs> you know. And so my question to all of us are, we, again, we've created a culture over the last few decades. I will invite you into my life. And mostly to come and pat me on my back and tell me how sorry you feel for me or how great I am. But very few of us still got relationships and nurture relationships with each other where we are brutal with each other in honesty when we need to. And, you know, Jesus said legitimate children get discipled, disciplined. Mm. Legitimate children are disciplined. Mm -hmm. I discipline you because I love you. Mm-hmm. And that truth, again, I want to appeal to us in this time. Let's rekindle that. Let's start that and use this moment where the sun was stopped for us and connect with each other again and rediscover this beautiful ancient truth of go and make disciples, submit mm-hmm. one in a council mm-hmm. of many. So mm-hmm. that we become strong as a community. Yes. And that we don't keep on falling down um, into that pit, causing a lot of relationship breaks, and that's a problem. Yes. We cause relationship breaks, we cause church splits, we cause a lot of pain to the body of Jesus because our washing machines are. Mm-hmm. And so we need to learn to stop that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. On the practical side, um, I, I wanted to just throw out some of these things to you. It's actually uh, something that I've been, I was reading um, from Martin Lloyd-Jones and uh, the whole question of doubts um, very similar to the idea of what you're saying. And I really like a few of the points. I wanted to throw them at you and then get your take on what you think. So first is we produce our own doubts. Um, Jesus doesn't tell, you know, when, when Peter comes out of the boat, Jesus doesn't say, Hey, Hey, be careful, be careful. The waves are really big. I don't know if you're going to make it, Peter. Peter created his own doubts. Uh, He stares at the waves. He looks around and fear is created internally. It's sort of the washing machine. How does the cycle begin? And it's the idea that you, you really do forget to look at Jesus. And so you look at the waves, the circumstances, and you produce doubt and fear internally. The second thing is that doubts are not, incompatible with faith that that is that you can have faith and have doubts they're not it's not as though oh if i ever have doubts that means i'm not a christian or i don't believe in jesus 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 could have said to peter you know oh peter because you doubted you have no faith but instead he says you have little faith and i think that is important to note is that um that it is it's jesus not saying he has zero faith but he has faith but it is a very distinctive faith. It's, it's a, it's a weak faith actually. It's a faith that, it, that he does have faith while he's sinking, and that's that's the second thing. The third thing is that doubting, and sinking, does mean that you're of weak faith, and so that means that the waves, will, and could be incredibly dangerous if you're not focusing on who Jesus is. And, and 
Jesus forgot he's the great I am, forgot that he is the God overseas. You know, he is the God who, and, and really doubts should cause us to examine what it is that we believe in. Who do we believe in? You know, why do we believe what we believe? And then lastly is that faith persists in looking at him and always, it really causes us to say, I have to look at Jesus throughout my whole life. And I think it is important that Jesus, that Peter does, at least he says, Jesus, save me. You know, versus saying, I can do this by myself. I'll figure it out. That's more dangerous than at least he cries out, Jesus, save me. So there again is that little faith. And uh, here's something that uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, and I thought it was interesting. He says, you cannot live on an initial faith. Do not try to live on your conversion. You'll be done before you know where you are. You cannot live on one climactic experience. You must keep on looking to him every day. We walk by faith and you live by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I really love this part. He says, you need him as much on your deathbed as you did on the night you were converted. Converted. You need him all the time. And I think that that's the challenge is that I think so many people think faith is, oh, I, I raise my hand, I accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, or I saw a miracle happen. It's like going to a buffet and you think, if I eat this really big, big buffet, I'll eat as much food as I can for the next five days. I won't eat anything because I won't be hungry. But we all know that's not how it works. Right. The next day you get hungry again and you get hungry again. And no matter what you experience, if you're not walking in faith all the time, trusting in him, looking to him, looking at his word, delving in relationship with him, following Jesus, crying out to him for help in times of trouble. If we don't do that, then we too will sink. So it really is the same faith you had when you trusted in Christ, when you first came to know him, you need that same faith when you're about to die. Mm -hmm. And George, I know you have, you've been with a lot of people who have died. And I know there are different types of death, different types of ways in which people, a lot of, sometimes people die with incredible fear. And sometimes people die with incredible faith. And you, if, if you could share a little bit about what that means, like how, how you could see that faith being needed all throughout your life. And it's not just about faith in the moment for one big moment, one big miracle, one big conversion. What are your thoughts? You know, I think doubt is like the uncertainty about the truth. For me, that's that. And and I I always think of Thomas, right? Um, (laughs) Where Thomas said, I will not, believe until I see this and put my hands in his wounds and, and then a time came where Jesus said um, put your finger here see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in, the, in my side then Jesus said to, to Thomas stop doubting and believe stop and believe, in fact Jesus after that spoke and said blessed are those who did not see and yet believe now Doubt, the thing about doubt, Sam, I think doubt is um, a massive part of our culture. We doubt each other, we doubt facts. Mm. I would say we are more pessimistic and critical than optimistic and um, 
giving each other the benefit of the doubt as a culture. I definitely believe that. Um, there's always a bit of a critical, it's really, is it really like that? I don't know, I question that. And I think that doubt leads to insecurity. And, and that spill over into our spiritual lives and that leads to a trust in God. And his willingness, number one, and his ability to deliver his people. Now, you speak a lot about people um, dying. One of the things when you sit with people that die, that is, I think, something that will stay with me for the rest of my life, that's super disturbing. I believe when we die consistently and we're critical consistently, it's nearly like you cross a line and you can't get back. And I've literally, one morning, one Saturday morning, I had two young ladies dying and it was within an hour from each other. I literally went from one place to another place. And in the first place where I was, um, she was so full of Jesus. There was actually, she smiled at me. And she was just in heaven before she died. Um, and we spoke about her mm. children and I helped her and we sat there and, and this woman just died in the most incredible peace you can imagine. From there, I went to the next house and she, this lady died about an hour, hour and a half after I got there. And that hour, hour and a half, she had nothing to lose. I pleaded with her to see Jesus. I pleaded, mm. I gave her reasons, example. I said, mm. you're going to meet him within the hour. This is a time to prepare. You know, she would look at me and then I can see the battle in her mind. She's got nothing to lose. And then she will just turn away and say, no. Hmm. One of the most, one of the toughest wow. mornings I've had in my life, I wanted to grab her and shake her and say, you are so privileged that you've got this moment. Hmm. Um, and Sam, she did it. It was like there was a line that was drawn with years of hardness. Just doubt, critical. Can't hmm. be, it's not true. Can't see the good in life. Can't see the good in people. I rather get hurt by people every second day than start treating people in a critical um, way where I doubt everything. Mm. And I think if we start doing that with people, it's pull into our relationship with God. Mm. The smallest thing that don't go our way, we start questioning God and doubting Him. Are you really a good God? Do you really care? I think it is massive. I think it is mm. a huge thing that mm. we need to deal with very deeply in our lives and grow mm. because it grows. It grows. Mm. Mm. Amen. Let me let me just um, close with this. It's the last verse, verse thirty-three, and those. So Jesus stops the, the basically the wind cease storm is done and those in the boat worshiped him saying truly you are the son of god what do you think think about the the final thing that happens is worship you know it's not they could they could feel bad because especially peter you know he's <laughs> he's called a person of little faith and we know peter's a proud man but they are just struck with the fact that 
the waves just stopped and he comes onto the boat and they're just worshiping him. They're delighting in him. How do you, how do you like, what do you think about that ending to this story? I, I just find it so remarkable in its own way. What I always think of when I, when I hear about uh, a revival or people turning, I always look what triggered it off. Because mm. I learn. I want to see what triggered things off. And so when I look at this and I say, but why did they worship God? I would, without a doubt, believe that even Peter's getting out of the boat and Jesus just grabbing him, bringing him back into the boat and then bring the calmness. That triggered off they, I don't even know if I could really process it, but watching this whole thing play out in front of them, that brought worship. And so mm. for me, what I take away from here is when we did to get out of the boat, others will worship God. And um, that, I like that. I want yes. to get uh, I want to be a get out of the boat guy. <laughs> <laughs> so you have you have listed two things that you could use as now uh, little slogans for hands: wave walkers yes. <laughs> and get out of the boat guy. <laughs> well, you know, thank you so much. It's always a blessing to be able to explore God's word with you and. Uh, Look forward to doing it again on Wednesday. And you are going to pick the passage this time. So you'll let us know. Yes. Yes. Do you mind praying for us? I would love to. Father, I want to pray for every one of us who watched this tonight or listened. And for Sam and myself and everyone else. I want to pray that these words will sink deep in our hearts. We'll be comforted greatly that in the midst of a storm, you are there to grab us. You are there to bring peace to us. And we heard well in the last few days that the biggest storm we can ever face is the one inside ourselves. Um, even now, in the midst of this virus, the biggest storm is in us. And that scripture that we've read most probably a hundred times in the last week, be anxious about nothing. But in everything, through prayer, petition, and thanksgiving, make your requests known unto God. And I pray, Lord, that we will become a people that need to get out of the boat. We will become a people that uh, you can use to feed the multitudes. We will become a people that uh, get other people to worship you. We will become a people that have got peace inside us. We know that you said the kingdom of God is within. Mm -hmm. May your kingdom come tonight mm. in my life, Lord. Mm. In Sam's life and everyone else that listens, our family, our mm. friends. May your kingdom come in, uh, in the world in this time. Mm. Unique, unique. You stop time in a sense. You grinded us to a standstill. I pray that love will conquer all fear. Mm. I pray, Lord, that we will see with your eyes and not with fear. I pray that we'll find our comfort in you. 
I pray for a good night and a good day wherever we are. And may the peace and the love of Jesus reign in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 If you have any questions, please post them and we will let, uh, we'll try to address them either next time or, uh, yeah, we'll do it next time. So it's nine o'clock. Thank you, George, so much. Blessing as always. I hope everyone out there is blessed and see you all again on Wednesday. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you, Sam.